you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Ishmael from Dad Is Not A Now. I have an awesome guest today. He is first a father, husband, animator, educator, and the founder of Heroes of Color, and also the one that just basically they're selling out of stores right now. (laughs) Target, you name it, it's sold out. The Little Heroes of Color, and also the author of the Freelance Hustle. So he's constantly on the hustle game. David Heretta. How you doing, my brother? Oh, man, I'm doing well. Ishmael, again, I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, giving me this platform, giving me an opportunity to speak to your audience, speak to you, and, you know, just continue to spread this positivity, man. It's a, it's a great movement to be a part of right now. And I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. Your story is ph- phenomenal. But what I want to do is I'm a fan of uh, Back to the Future. I know okay. you're a fan of Back to the Future, right? Yes. Like My favorites of part one part two three not so much but the yeah first, i didn't like the going to the west thing i wasn't yeah that yeah that threw me off i so, could have done without that <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I got the delorean ready i got it the flux capacitor ready to go and i'm picking a date the date is january 28 1986 Oof. and we're gone and we're here and you're nine years old, the kids are huddled around, and something significant is going to happen. Take us, take us back. Well, I'll tell it to you like this, man. This was not just a moment that was isolated to me and my classroom in New York City. This was, from what I understand, nationwide. You know, we had the Space Shuttle Challenger that was getting ready to lift off for the very first time with a educator, a teacher, a school teacher on board. And NASA was in an attempt to really try to engage some, you know, young minds to help them learn about STEM. Although I don't think they were calling it STEM back then, but, you know, really getting them interested in science or whatever. So in every single elementary room, they brought in the TV screens to show this magnificent, like, you know, nobody had ever really seen a space shuttle live, you know, happening. So they just stopped what everybody was doing brought in the TV screens. And I just remember sitting in the front row thinking like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like seeing all those people gathered to see this magnificent event happen. And then out of the hangar, we see the seven astronauts walking out. And, you know, the big buzz was the teacher. And everybody's like, oh, I want to see the teacher, you know. But when they were walking out, I was like, oh, snap, there's a Japanese dude. That's cool. I didn't know they were Japanese astronauts. And then a black dude walked out 
His name was Dr. Ronald McNear. When he walked out, Ishmael, I, everything stopped. I was like, wait a minute. I never knew there were black astronauts. You know, so where I was mild, mildly interested, mildly interested, now I was extremely interested in seeing what was about to go down. Um, let me explain something to you. I love science, but I never felt like, hey, you know what, I want to be a scientist. But just seeing him walking out that hangar, seeing him in that position made me feel like I just had to think, like, I can't imagine what type of obstacles he had to overcome to get to where he is right now. You know, so to see that made me feel like I can achieve whatever it is that I want to achieve if I stick to it. You know, because being an, you know, the expression, hey, well, you know, it's not rocket science, but this dude is a rocket scientist. I'm like, yo, this, I mean, this is a brilliant man. You know, so it just, it filled me with a lot of inspiration. Um, and all this was happening within the time frame of like two to three minutes. You know, they came out the hangar, they said a couple of words. And I mean, even Ronald McNear mentioned, um, you know, he gave his introduction and he's like, well, I'm gonna pass the mic over. I know everybody's here to see the teacher. So I forget her name. Um, he introduced her and everybody went crazy. And, you know, they finally get prepped for the launch. And I believe it was 70, like 72 seconds into the shuttle um, actually leaving the landing pad. It, you know, we know what happens next. And, um, you know, I think the way the teachers responded to it was the way we all did. We were all shocked. It was not something we were expecting to see. Um, and it was just, it was like a, it was a real sad time, man. It was like a, uh, you know, I had not really, we, we mentioned, we touched upon this earlier about the difference between learn, like seeing something and actually understanding it. And I mean, we all saw it, but I didn't really fully understand what, like what just happened. Um, you know, and I think they let us leave school early that day. It was like a half day or something. Um, you know, I went home, I talked about it with my, my brothers and my moms and, um, man, it was just like, it was just crazy, but I pushed it to the back of my mind. Like it was just something that lived there for a long time. And fast forward now from 1986 all the way to 2015. Now, 2015, um, I'm living in Los Angeles now. Um, I have started my own business and I'm sitting in my office and I'm thinking to myself, I just finished doing a, client, a project for a client. The money was really good. I had enough time to really think about doing a project of my own. You know, several times as a freelance artist, we're busy just doing stuff for other people oh, I got a commission to draw this, or I got a commission to draw that. Very rarely do we have an opportunity to sit down and say, what do I want to do? Right. What do I want to create? What stories do I want to tell? So I found myself in a unique position to do that. And that's where Heroes of Color was born. Um, you know, and the, and the mission behind it was really to educate my children so that they had a better understanding of not just representation, because for me, it's not, it goes beyond representation. Right. It's celebration, right. you know, of these different um, people that are not uh, spoken about in school. So I started my first one off with the Harlem Hellfighters. 
And I just wanted to kind of test the waters, Ishmael. I wasn't really sure how people were going to respond to it. And it, it got a really good response, a really good response. It did, because I the, the reason why I heard of you was through that from PBS. Oh, That's wow. Initially, where I heard from, from you. Originally. That's crazy. And that blew my That's mind, because again, it was a way where people can easily digest it. I like using yeah. that word, Sesame Street. You have yes. to Sesame Street um, history of the people. So oh, they yeah. can understand it completely. It's not saying Absolutely. it's a bad thing, but again, if you look at oh. like how we get information, you have mm -hmm. to make it as easy for people to understand. Exactly. You know, exactly. Complex. You know, there's no good it bad guys. It's everything mm -hmm. in the middle. And so that's what that taught me. But also going back to McNair, I think one of the biggest pieces about him, which you alluded to a, little, a while ago, was the power of doubt in his life. Oh, yeah. And yeah. how it kind of transitions to your life. Because again, he enjoyed playing the sax. Because exactly. he felt doubt, he wasn't too sure if, you know, going into being an astronaut was going to be the thing for him because he saw how challenging it was going to be. Right. So, you know, he was at that, that, that parallel, that road. Yeah. At that road. So can you kind of talk about doubt and how that can inflect or you can take it and say, all right, I have doubt, but I have this goal. Well, no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to go straight ahead. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Doubt. Absolutely. I felt like at that point where I had completed, I had completed three episodes and I was getting ready to do my fourth episode and I started to have doubts. I started filling my head with all these reasons as to why I should not continue. And, um, you know, I was researching McNair and I knew of him obviously from my youth, but I didn't really know his story until I looked him up and I started learning that, you know, this brilliant, brilliant man doubted himself and wasn't sure he was good enough for the space program. And like you mentioned, he felt like, well, maybe I should just pursue this career instead because he was good at the sax as well. Um, but for whatever reason, he just felt like he owed it to himself to try. You know what I mean? And I think it's the difference between passion and your purpose. We may all be passionate about something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're moving in our purpose as to what our, what our mission is in life. Everybody here is here for a specific reason. And your, sometimes your passion will guide you in, in your purpose. Like, so for me, I feel like mine is all about educating and using art as a tool to educate. So I felt like, you know what? I owe it to myself to give it a shot and to try and not worry about what people are going to say about it. Because guess what? Whether I do something or I do nothing, people are still going to criticize you. So why not go with doing something that you enjoy doing? So I'm passionate about storytelling. I'm passionate about animation. And I'm passionate about education. So I can put these things together. And I always use McNear as sort of a foundation for getting over that hump and like moving on to the next level. Because as you know, when you get into the space program, there's different tiers. You know, first you have to be selected. Then you have to test. And there's a, these multiple levels of testing that you have to pass. And then even once you pass it, that doesn't mean you're going to be selected on a mission. You could just be standby your whole career. 
So this dude was consistently killing it. And just in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, this was a man who was full of doubt, but he decided, you know what? This is something I really want to do. I'm going for it. And that has served me so well just moving forward. Ever since, listen, ever since I did that episode, so many things changed for me. And I'll tell you one of the main reasons why. One of the main reasons why I did it, why it changed me was towards the end of the video, there's a scene where McNear is his brother, Carl, is accepting a, an award for him in his honor. So I was like, man, I'd love to reach out to Carl and show him this video. So I did. I found him on Facebook. And after months of stalking him and liking everything he posted to get his attention, he finally responded. And he was like, yo, give me a call. So we jumped on the phone and he was like, you know, pretty much my job is to keep my brother's legacy alive. And, you know, I'm getting older and I, I don't have the same energy that I had 20, 30 years ago. But what I love about this video is it allows his legacy to live on and to a younger generation. Um, and you captivate the story in three minutes. You know what I mean? And Ishmael, just getting his sort of, it was like, I know we don't need validation in order to succeed and to move on. It's nice if we get it, but we don't need it, you know? But to get that validation from Carl McNear was everything to me. It was everything. And it, it just sort of solidified my purpose and how you don't, sometimes you don't know as an artist how your work impacts people. Because I'll make a drawing, I'll sell it, you'll take it home, hang it up on the wall. And I don't know if you look at that drawing every day and feel like, you know what? Now that I see this drawing, I'm gonna get into drawing now. Like you don't know the impact it's gonna have on you. But when you actually get the chance to see how it impacts somebody's life, is life changing. I mean, it really is because, you know, him telling me, him sharing these things with me, and this is his brother right. telling me how, how powerful this piece was, was like, I am on the right track. There's no more doubt in my mind about what I'm doing, you know? And you mentioned earlier that you, you learned about the Heroes of Color was on the PBS um, yes. film festival. The PBS film festival was very interesting for me because that was my crossroads. Because although I did get a lot of great feedback, I also got a lot of very negative feedback. Like what? And like, you know, saying that, oh, well, this series is promoting segregation. This series is promoting hate. Um, I don't like the choice that you chose for the name of the series. Um, you know, this is, this is your version of black supremacy. And like, just like a lot of those types of comments. And the interesting thing is, the Facebook link that PBS put up, a lot of these comments were on there. I think they took a lot of them off, but some of them remain. And that was my crossroads. That was my point of saying like, should I go to space or should I play my sax? Right. You know, so for me, it was more a question of, should I continue with this journey of telling these stories of these underrepresented people? Or should I just stop? Because I even started getting hate mail, like uh -huh. email to me. And I'm like, yo, I've never, I've never had this happen to me. But then I started to realize what was happening. What was happening was anytime people start to take pride in their culture and in their history, 
And this doesn't mean that you're saying you're better than anybody. This doesn't mean that you're putting other people down. You're just saying, look, I'm pr I have a lot of pride in my culture and in my ancestors and the things that they accomplished. And I want it to be known that I am celebrating these things. It makes other people insecure of themselves if they don't share that same level of pride that you have. So I started to realize that guess what? This is not my insecurity, it's their insecurity. They need to unpack that, not me, I'm good. You know, so that was a, a real big moment, I think for me in my life. And, you know, although physically I've never met Carl, just through the conversations we've had over the phone, that was what pushed me over to the next level, you know, and I thank him every opportunity that I get. Right, and I just felt like going back to what you were saying, that happens because you, when you know when you're on the right side of history, when you know you're oh, doing yeah. all the right thing, you're going to have a lot yeah. of people that's going to hate you. That's a part of being on the right side of history. And then when you go to the, the, the Black experience in the military, it's not all happy. It's tragic, mm, you know? Yeah. If you go back to when they came back home from World War II and denied the, um, the oh, GI yeah. Bill, you know? So there's stories, or if you go back to the Revolutionary War, you know, they were black mm -hmm. patriots. We didn't yeah. fight until Karuni Abdul Jabbar comes to military. Right. It, it's rich, but also right. um, has tragic stories too. So you got to yeah. tell both. You can't tell the good. You also got to tell the bad, you know? Yeah. And that's the important. Yeah. But going right back to the conversation, I think one of the big things to I love about you is not staying in one lane. And I think the one thing about uh, Dr. Robert McNair is that he wasn't content. He was a man right. of many things, just like exactly. you. So can you kind of <laughs> intertwine both of your guys' stories a little bit? Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, I think, um, you know, McNair was very unique in his, uh, I think his journey to his career, he took his career very seriously. Uh, it was everything to him, you know, but I think just learning one of the stories that happened to him when he was nine years old, when he was at a public library and he was denied access to taking out books because it was an all white library. Um, he was like, well, I'm going to just stay here until I get my books. You know, and they're like, well, we're going to call the cops on you. He's like, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just getting books. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing anything wrong. And I think as his brother, Carl spoke about it, he's like, you know, that was like a big win for the civil rights movement, even though that was not his intention. His intention was just, he just wanted the books. But just to show you how when he's faced with adversity, he pushes through it, you know, he continues to push through it. And so for me, that was a real big inspiration. You know, he, um, he was a black belt in karate. I think it was like six degree black belt, you know, martial arts. Um, you know, and just touching a bunch of different things. And, and these are just the things that I know of, but I'm pretty sure he was, he excelled in a lot of the things that he chose to do, right. you know? And I think for me, I try to have that same approach and anything that I do, I want to try to be the absolute best at it. It's okay if I fail, you know, if I mess up or if I don't do it correctly at first, I'm all right with that, you know? Um, but just knowing that I'm going to give it my all, I won't ever feel bad. You know, and I think that's one of the only times people have regrets is because they know I didn't give it my all. I just gave up. So now that's a regret. I didn't try it because if you say, you know what, I want to go skydiving 
and I'm going to start practicing for it, and I'm going to do everything I need to to be prepared for it. And when that moment comes and you jump, you're going to feel fantastic. You know what I'm saying? But if that moment comes and you just like, you, you, you freeze up, you clam up, you can't do it. All right. But you know what? You did everything up to that point. You did everything you needed to do to prepare for that. So you can't have that regret. You know, so I felt like, you know, McNair was a type of individual who, again, this is my assumption because I've never met him and I don't know him, but um, he seemed like he was a type of individual that gave his all to everything he did. And so I told myself as a young black animator, I want to make sure that I have that same approach because just in corporate America and the animation industry, or in any industry, I felt like I've always had to work three times. Yes. You know, and it's it's just a, I think it's a it's something that many of us can relate to, yeah. you know, it, just getting a, a simple job where you and the next man have the exact same qualifications, but they may get it over you, you know, unless you have something that's like, puts you way over the top. So we live our lives in a state of, yo, I need to be like operating way up here at this level in order to get my talents recognized. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a lot of pressure, but you know, it, it turns you into a, a stronger individual. I think it builds character, right. you know? And so that, that was one of the things that I sort of mirrored off of, you know, just how McNair handled situations in his life. And I think that's important too, because like you said, we have a proud heritage of oh, yeah. being gifted in so many things. The one name I think of is Paul Robeson. I think he's mm. the least appreciated but the most yeah, important yeah. person of that time. Cause you know, yeah, he yeah. was an extraordinary high school football player. You know, mm -hmm. he was a great singer, great actor, lawyer, you know, <laughs> activist. This man crazy. has his hands in everything, you know? Wow. And he's one of those forgetting gems of our past. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, going back ahead, do you feel like you have a, king, a kingship spirit with Dr. Robert McNair? At, with everything that you've accomplished so far, do you do you feel that way a little bit? That you know, from eight, from um, nine years old to now, do you feel like you kind of you were doing that work for him? Well, I definitely feel like um, you know. I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that I'm uh, you know living up to his legacy and 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 his mission, things that he wanted to accomplish. But I know that one of the things that was important to him was. Uh, education and making sure that you know black and brown and other people of color had these opportunities available to them and just sort of just being present was enough to give them that sort of inspiration to be like oh you know what if he could do it I could do it right. you know and he did a lot of talks he did a lot of you know events where he was present and he was talking about you know this or that um, and there were a lot of kids that saw that you know, and it inspired them. And so I know that that was something that was really important to him. So for me to use my talents as a platform to inspire other young artists to want to pursue their career, because, you know, just to be 100% honest with you, I think most artists that go to art school are taught, we're taught how to work for other people. We're not taught how to work for ourselves. And, and, and fend for ourselves, you know? And that's just a culture of, that's just the culture that we live in, you know? But 
I like to believe that we should start our own businesses as soon as possible. You know, even if it's a lemonade stand on the corner, um, just to get the feel for what it's like to be your own boss and, and, and make these dis- executive decisions, you know, and do it in something that, you're, that you love to do, something that you're, comes naturally to you, you know, because once you dabble in that and then you go to work for somebody else, it might do one or two things. Number one, it might make you feel like I need to start investing more time in myself than I do in this other person's business. Or the flip side, you might say, I just realized how valuable and how much of an asset I am to this company. So I need to let them know. I need to make them aware of these other skill sets that I have in the hopes of getting a promotion and the hopes of, you know, moving up and not just staying with whatever I'm given, you know, actually trying to excel. And I tell it to every single student that I, that I come across who's into the arts, you know, and they tell me, what's the best piece of advice can you give that you can give to an artist? I say, take business classes, learn the business of art, learn it. Because even if you decide you don't want to have your own freelance business, if you get interviewed for a job at Ishmael's animation studio and you're saying, Hey, I want to offer you $50,000, but you've, you know, you've done negotiations on the side. You can say, okay, give me some time to think about it. And then account to that offer and come back and say, look, Ishmael, based on my 30 years of experience, um, you know, and, and the recognition that I've had as an animator for the last blah, 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 I would like to say that I'm worth 85000 for this position, you know, or 90000 or whatever. And then you work it in between. But that negotiation, that confidence, that level of confidence to even say that right. comes from doing it for right. yourself. Listen, I've done several negotiations that have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> I mean, I've shot myself in the foot more times than I can count. Right. But through every single one of those opportunities, I've learned, you know, so that when an opportunity, you know, like a freelance opportunity came that paid a lot of money, I was like, wow, you know what? They're offering me 20 G's for this. That sounds great. But that's their first offer, right. which means they have more money. This right. is just what works best for them, not what works best for me. So let me do a little research. Let me figure this out. And then I can counter and say, look, this sounds great. But for the amount of work that's involved, you know, you use the language, learn the language, learn to play the game. And then you counter it with something that's ridiculous, that's offensive. Yep. You're like, yo, I want 150000 right. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, we are not paying that amount of money. We'll give you seventy. Okay, good. Sounds good. I'll take it. But look at what just happened. You know what I mean? By countering an offer, by taking that chance and taking those risks, you ended up getting $50,000 more, you know? And a lot of that comes from you doing your own little freelance gigs here and there, you know? Um, and just not being afraid to take that leap, man, because look, this is, this is one of those situations where um, I don't believe that opportunities just land on our laps. I believe that we create our opportunities for ourselves by hanging out with the people that we do, by reading the books that we read, by just, you know, putting yourself in the positions that we put ourselves in as people, we're creating opportunities. Now, they could be good, they could be bad. But right. if I sit here and I tell you, look, you know, one of my major, 
major goals is to be able to finish out an entire season of Heroes of Color and have it streamed digitally on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And this is my dream. This is my goal. This is something that I really want to do. I'm going to work within that circle. I'm right. going to network with people that have that skill set or have a deals with Netflix so right. that I can learn, so that I can absorb that. And guess what? Eventually, something like that might happen. Or I'll start a digital streaming service of my own. Right. I mean, these opportunities that, that we think to ourselves like, oh, man, Ishmael got that great blog deal with, with you know, Fox. Right. He's so lucky. No, you're not lucky. It's not luck. It's hard work that you've been putting in. It's, it's, it's very strategic because you're hanging out with the right people. You're reading the right books. You're doing all the footwork. You know, it's not luck. I get offended when people tell me, oh, man, you're so lucky you got that gig. No, nah, man, you know all the work I've been putting into this? It's not luck. <laughs> and I totally agree with that because if you think about it, too, if you go back to the past, you know, we did have that. You know, you had Tulsa before the um, – yeah. of 1920 you know you had black owned businesses you have they they had nothing and they turned it into cities and so it's oh, there man. the blueprint is there it's yep. just going back to the past figure out how they do it and then apply it to today and i think exactly. one of the most important things too is be happy within yourself and i think exactly. i love how you appreciate you know your blackness, but you, at the same time, you don't forget your Latino side too. And I think exactly. that's important. And I think one of the miss issue or topics is Afro-Latino. Yeah. I think there's so yeah. many important Afro-Latino heroes that need to be told. And so yeah. being Afro-Latino, having children, why is that important to embrace both cultures? Man, it's, it's like, I mean, for me, I feel like you cannot have one without the other, to be honest with you. Um, living in New York, I, I never really, I never really gave it much thought, you know, because I worked with and was always surrounded by Afro-Latinos or, you know, Afro something else, you know, people who were um, African and Asian, you know, all kinds of mixes. And in New York, it was something that was very common to see. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't a big deal. Um, I think I got on this whole drive for really wanting to learn more about myself and my ancestry when I moved to California, because I was really shocked to hear that the Latinos that lived here really didn't know that the Dominican Republic even existed. So that in itself was like, wow, that's bizarre to me, you know. Um, but then what's worse is when I speak Spanish to them, it, it blows their minds, you know, and then it treat, they start treating me differently because I speak Spanish. And now what I mean by that is we, you and I, if we're in an area, let's say, where there's predominantly white people or Asian people or whatever, and there are not a lot of black people in that area, and if I see you in a supermarket, what do you think we're gonna do? Instantly. What's up, man? What's right? up with a head nod? Your head nod, instantly. Yo, what's up, man? It's good to see you because I don't see you a lot. So when I'm hanging out with other Latinos, uh, my experience is they're cool with me, you know? But once they learn that I'm Latino, that that's my part of my culture, then they'll get then I'll get the head nod and the peace sign and the oh now they'll take me in. 
but sometimes I get the, the complete opposite. Right. You know, I get the complete opposite. And so, you know, I've always said this to, to a lot of people. Um, I'm not the one who's struggling with my identity. I'm very, I'm very solid with my identity. It's other people who are struggling to understand my identity. And that's where the problem comes, you know, because they want to label you something. They need to put you in this box, in this category. You know, oh, oh wait, you're, you're from the Dominican Republic? Oh, that means you don't like Haitians. No, that's <laughs> not true. That's not true. You can't take one thing that happens and categorize everybody the same way. I love my Haitians. I love, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't really make a difference to me what other people think about who I should be. Right. What's important to me goes back to what you said, which is being happy within yourself and being confident with who you are as an individual. And whatever identity you relate with or you associate or identify with, that's your business, man. You know, and I just, I don't know how people get so worked up in, but wait a minute, if you're black, but you're also Latino, then that means you're just this or, you know, whatever, man. I don't, I don't, I, I try not to give it too much, too much um, thought, but my, my overall response to it is you can completely uh, embrace both aspects of your culture completely. You do not have to pick one over the other. Right. You know what I mean? Um, just embrace it. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great thing when we can celebrate our differences right. and not use it as a tool to drive us apart, you know? And I love how you, you know, you, we broke it down to, 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 to the science, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you broke it down to this essence. And I find that important because in the book that you collaborated with your daughter, Little Heroes of Color, I think that oh, yeah. kind of inks that what you just said into that one in that book. Yeah. And the importance yes. to celebrate both cultures, but all cultures. All and I cultures. love how with this book, it's not just the United States, it's mm -hmm. on a global level, you know? Yeah. So can you talk about the collaboration uh, a little um, with, with your daughter and why that's so important to you guys? All right, well, I've never said this publicly, but originally the uh, Little Heroes of Color was just 50 men. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being straight up with you. And, uh, you know, my daughter came along and she's like, what is this mess? She's like, nah, this is, this is not right, you know. Um, and, you know, this, this talks to another subject of why it's important to have conversations with your children because we can learn so much from them if we actually listen. Um, and just well, all we need to do is open up the door to the conversation and, and, and they'll fill in the blanks. And so she was like, why is it just 50 men? You know, how come there are no women in here? And I was like, oh, snap. You know, I mean, I'm not a chauvinist or anything like that, but I just, I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, I'm like, damn, I'm thinking maybe I am one, you know? <laughs> so I was like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll, add, we'll add some, we'll sprinkle some women throughout the book. Um, you know, and then my, uh, my editor at Scholastic, she was, she kind of affirmed that she was like, you know, I like that you added some women in the book. I think I had added like 10. She was like, why don't we split it? Make it 25, 25. I was like, that sounds fair. That sounds good. Um, and then because I'm speaking to my daughter's age group, what was super crucial to me was that she liked the artwork. Um, and that, but more importantly, that she understood what was being said in each one of these characters, sort of like quick bios. Um, you know, what, what's, what were some of the things that stood out to her? 
you know, and I gave her the dummy book. This was like the, you know, just like the rough version of it. And she gave some really great feedback to me that I was like, wow, I really could not have created this book without the feedback of my three kids. I mean, my wife was instrumental in it as well. Um, but I think in the, in the book, I credited my three kids as, you know, this is for my three little heroes because I couldn't have made this book without their insight, you know. Um, but um, it, was, it was everything to me to have, to be able to work with my kids on this project was, was fantastic, you know. And then I took it to the next step where, you know, just for like promotional purposes, I've been doing this, uh, what's called story time with little heroes of color. And these are just like, you know, my daughter at, um, narrates it, you know, and we'll just pick four characters at a random and just talk about them, um, you know, and, and it's, I think that just that alone has helped gain more popularity in the book, more interest in wanting to learn about other cultures, because now what I did was, it's not just learning about their achievements, now I've attached music to it. So it's another aspect to our culture, um, whether it's Asian or indigenous or whatever. So it's like, wow, how many other things can we, you know, add to this to, to make it another level of just like, I'm really interested in learning more about this person's culture. I tell you one of the other things that I love was the fact that I had scholars, like educators who bought the book and they were telling me, yo, they were like half of the people in this book I'd never heard of. Wow. I was like, wow, that's great <laughs> to be able to do that. Like, that's so awesome for me, man. I was like, that was just the, the best thing in the world, you know, but just like getting back to my kids, um, you know, seeing them look through the book, just seeing them read the characters, you know, what it's doing for them is it's normalizing seeing a mix of cultures. It's making it normal for them so that when they start getting books and it's just all white characters or all of one specific ethnic group, they're like, okay, you know, maybe we can have some books or some topics where it's a mix of people, right. you know, or if they're not getting enough of one thing, maybe we can add this. You're not getting it or I'll create my own then. You know, and now my, yo, let me just show you a real quick story with my son. When he was in the second grade, um, they were doing a project where he had to do a, a self-portrait. So he did a self-portrait and his complexion is way lighter than, than mine. But, you know, he reached for the brown crayon and he colored himself brown. But that was not what was interesting. What was interesting was his best friend, who's this white kid with blonde hair and blue eyes, he's my son's best friend. He grabs the brown crayon and he colored himself brown, you know, just because like it's it's so amazing how innocent kids are, you know what I mean? And I often wonder at what point do they get tainted? You know, at what point do they start treating other people differently based on their, you know, uh, phenotypes, yeah. their hair color, the, the skin color, you know, things that you just see on the outside. You know, I can look at you and I can come up in my mind a million different things about who you are before you even open your mouth. And then you might open your mouth and turn out, oh, snap, you're from Pakistan. You're not even African-American. You know, so all the preconceived notions I've had of you were all wrong, yeah. you know. And with the child, though, they don't, they don't have that level of complicated, like, they don't judge you like that. They judge you based on if you're my friend right now or not, or can I play with you right now or not. That's it. You know, so I love that, you know, I think Frederick Douglass was the one that said it, 
you know, it's easier to build um, strong children than it is to repair broken men, you know, and I, and I, and I think I've committed myself now to really focusing on teaching kids, you know, the Heroes of Color video series was targeting junior high school level, but right. what the Little Heroes of Color book did for me was it got me in at a, at a younger age group now. Yeah. So now I'm getting them at the age that I think is super important. Yeah. You know, there's mosquitoes trying to get in on the conversation over here. <laughs> um, you know, but I think that I think that that's one of the most important aspects of the work that I do is to be able to work with my children, you know, and also to create something and feel comfortable with them being around me. You know what I mean? Real quick story. Um, I had a uh, Hold on, let me just plug in this phone real quick. My battery's going. I had a, 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 um, a client who wanted me to do a project for him. And it was good money, man. It was real good money. But it was something that was kind of sketchy. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, I got my kids around me all the time. They see me drawing this. What are they going to, first of all, I can't even show them. But what are they going to think five, 10 years from now? if it surfaces and it will surface at some point and then they're going to be like oh man all this time i thought pops was all about education and and you know moving our our culture forward and now i see he did this type of work like it just doesn't make sense you know so really being able to identify who you are as an artist is really important because that helps you decide what kind of projects you can take moving forward. You know what I mean? And having my kids around me really helped me identify with who I am right now, what my purpose really is. So I'm super grateful for them. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing too, because it sums up our entire conversation is what your kids help you realize is that being a father is a brand. I know I don't like using the word <laughs> brand, but brand. everything you do reflects on them. Like, oh, you're, yeah. like you said, doing that project, you're like, I don't, uh, yeah, it's good money, but if I do this, if it goes out there, my kids are going to see it. Exactly. And how am I going to explain that to them? Exactly. And so it yeah. keeps you focused on that mm -hmm. one thing. And I think Absolutely. that's the most important thing. But also to bottle this whole conversation, going back to that day, January 28th, 1986, to now. I think the key word I'm thinking of again is affirmation. You seeing the you see you see a you see an Asian man, you see a black man, you see a woman, yeah. you see all these race of people on for one common goal. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they didn't meet that goal. Yeah. But at the same time, as a child, you saw diversity. Yep. In his in his in his um, in its entirety, and it's a beautiful yes. thing. To now working on projects that reflects everybody. So in hindsight, what do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you like this, man. When I saw that, that was in the fourth, I was in the fourth grade, I believe. Um, when I got into the seventh grade, when I got into junior high school, that's when I started to take art a little bit more seriously. And in the seventh grade, and my school district, they did this contest and it was called Racial Harmony. And they invited all of the junior high schools in the district to draw something that represented that word, racial harmony. So, you know, me and a couple of friends, we were like just coming up with some ideas and 
they gave me an idea. They were like, yo, why don't you do like a line of people, um, you know, like on a welfare line, getting ready to pick up some government cheese or whatever, but everybody on the line is from a different culture. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, usually you just think of seeing one ethnic group on the line, but this is a, like, it was a fun twist to it, you know? So I did it, I worked on it and I submitted it. And, you know, I think it was like two, three weeks later, the teacher was like, you know, they announced the winner and this is a national competition. I didn't even know it was a, like, you know, at that level, but she's like, David, they chose your painting. Um, and this was channel 13. They're going to air it on, on TV and there's going to be an award ceremony and you've been invited to go pick up uh, a certificate and like a gift card or something. And I was in the seventh grade and I was like, yo, this was not, I was so scared. I didn't even go, wow. you know, I, I didn't even tell my mother that I won because I was afraid she was going to make me go to this event and I was going to have to get up on the stage and talk, you know, and I was just, I had this fear of speaking in public and, you know, it was just like, but just winning that opened my eyes to like, wow, I feel like my opportunities increased themselves when I started including themes of culture, you know, so that just became a backbone for me to always work on cultural, you know, cultural related stuff. And I actually have a book that I'm working on um, and it's called United by Art. And I'm it's still in the process, you know, still I've been working on it, but when the Scholastic deal happened, I sort of pushed it to the side, you know, and then I'm, I'm working on it again now, you know, but always working on stuff that's related to culture just because I myself, you know, growing up in New York, I think I was mostly around like black and Latino and Asian and that's it. So, and I have a lot, I have so much to learn, you know, so I try to take it upon myself to learn these things so that I'm not judgmental of somebody else's, you know, music or religion or whatever, you know, I want to try to keep an open mind. And by doing that, my kids are going to mirror me and my wife because they see that, Hey, that's what they do. You know, they take the time to talk to these folks before judging them, you know, and everything is for the kids, man. And I, I know that that's like an ongoing joke, like, you know, rules for the kids and all that <laughs> stuff. But like, yo, it really, it really is important because that's the next generation coming up. And the school books that we got were horrible, but by the time they get older, they might be the ones that are actually in the board of education developing the curriculum and they're going to think back to their childhood and they're going to be like, nah, we're not going to allow this to happen again. We're going to make some changes to this curriculum, you know, and that's where a lot of this stuff really stems from is the education piece. I feel you on that, man. And that's the beauty of what you're doing and involving your kids. And I think it starts with them because they're the next generation. They are the ones that's going to make the new history books to tell the truth. For sure. And that's what we need. That tells the truth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that was a key part yes. <laughs> keep it hunted <laughs> exactly exactly right? right exactly but david man thank you i appreciate this conversation with you man i hope we can do oh, it again and definitely and definitely it was very enlightened man i learned a lot of stuff i hope you learned a lot of stuff too um you know and it's all about building and networking yeah and that's the yes. important thing and for the uh the world to evolve that's that key thing is that you got to connect with people. 
Yeah, for sure, man. And I, again, I want to thank you for, you know, reaching out to me because I put a, um, I put a, uh, an, a paid ad on Instagram, um, which was basically the Heroes of Color trailer. And, you know, I was talking to, you know, one of my friends and he was like, why, you know, like, what's the, like, what's the objective of putting that paid ad out? Because you're not selling anything. Like, you're not actually selling the episodes. Why are you putting money behind it? I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay with investing in myself. And if by putting this ad out, it gets people interested in the work that I'm doing, then that's my payment right there. You know, um, like you just said, building with new people. I think you saw the video and then you reached out to me. I did. This would not have happened if I wouldn't have done that. You know, and it's about making people aware of the stuff that we're doing. It's not always about the money. I mean, it's great when it, when, when it comes in and you plan it out and it works. That's fantastic. You know, but other times it's just about being that resource, you know, because so many educators, elementary school and junior high school have sent me, you know, PDF saying like, yo, look, I put this curriculum together for my classroom and I want to thank you because the last piece on it is the three minute, one of your three minute videos. And I'm like, wow, man, that's like, that's crazy to see that it's actually starting to make an impact in the classrooms. Like, that's just phenomenal, you know? So I want to thank you, man, for reaching out to me. And again, you know, giving me this opportunity to share, you know, my stories and some of the things that inspire me. So thanks again, man. Thank you, brother. You have a good day, man. Likewise, likewise. All right, man, we'll be in touch. All right, let... There we go. Cool. I canceled. I stopped the recording.